Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this special report from Unheard. One of our favorite writers, Lee Fong, has just this very moment emerged from testifying as a witness in front of the US Congress Select Committee at the Capitol. These hearings often go past without anyone really noticing. I have a newfound respect for court reporters after watching two and a half hours of it this afternoon, but this time we think it's a debate worth paying attention to. Today's hearing was on the subject of censorship, and we've got some clips from the hearing to go through with Lee, who's found himself in an office just outside the main chamber of the Capitol. He joins me live to talk through it. Welcome back. Exactly. Thanks for having me. We'll start by just showing a quick clip of Republican Chairman Jim Jordan, who is laying out the charges on his side of the argument. First, it was Twitter. When Elon Musk took over the company, he called it a crime scene and released information through Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, two journalists who we've had in front of this committee a couple times, showing that the government was deeply involved in the content moderation decisions at Twitter. Then it was Facebook, where folks from the White House, Andy Slavitt, Rob Flaherty, were telling the company to take down posts that they disagreed with. The White House pressured Facebook to censor true information and even told them to take down a meme. Then it was YouTube. Biden White House said, why aren't you guys at YouTube taking down more, quote, borderline content, which is content, speech that doesn't violate YouTube's policies, just content and speech that they didn't like, didn't agree with their narrative. Both Facebook and YouTube caved to the White House pressure because they knew they had to keep good relationships with the White House for important policy decisions. We call that coercion. Then we learned how they all teamed up, big government, big tech, big academia, working together to censor Americans in the lead up to the 2020 election through the Election Integrity Partnership and the Virality Project. This partnership created at the request of the federal government sent thousands of links directly to big tech to be censored. True information was targeted. Jokes weren't safe either. Even members of this committee were targeted. We then had the right of reply from Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett, a Democrat who unsurprisingly used the opportunity to get into the partisan fray. Donald Trump believes as president that he can deploy, let's think about this, the American military on American soil to attack an American target, an individual, which in this hypothetical example has not declared any form of hostility towards the American state itself, but is merely who the president believes is not his friend 
or agrees with him. This idea is, and you know, this is my own legal parlance, the craziest illegal, dictatorial, despotic, demagoguery, autocratic crap I've ever heard. Then finally, it was time for you, Lee, to lay out your evidence, and here is a selection of some of your comments, which can be found in full exclusively in print at unheard.com. I've long covered issues concerning free speech and censorship. Artificial intelligence introduces a new dimension, offering the unprecedented ability to monitor, to flag, and to censor billions of individuals at a scale and scope never before conceivable. I understand the stated intent behind these efforts, the desire to uphold the highest standards in our elections and to deter any illicit manipulation. However, as this and many other cases illustrate, the government often errs and frequently acts in a politically motivated manner. For this reason alone, it is inappropriate for law enforcement or intelligence agencies to act as the arbiter of permissible journalism. Moreover, government censorship of truthful and accurate speech, rather than dispelling conspiracy theories, only serves to exacerbate the erosion of public trust in our elections. My Twitter files and broader reporting differs slightly from recent testimony heard by this committee. I've also shed light on the role of private sector entities in attempting to control and curtail public discourse on areas of major public policy. I present these varied examples to underscore how censorship affects dissenting voices of all ideological stripes. I understand that in our intensely polarized environment, free speech has become a divisive issue, often misused by politicians seeking a convenient scapegoat. History teaches us that government and private entities demand censorship authority to attack dissidents of a particular group in one era. Those tools are then used against an entirely different set of actors a few years later. Today's cheerleaders for an unaccountable content moderation regime may well be tomorrow's victims of that same system. I implore the committee to rise, against, rise above partisanship and perceive the threat posed by online surveillance as an American issue that affects all of us. So watching that back, what's striking is the complete refusal to engage from the Democrat side. You see there in various images, some Democrats wearing a Ukraine pin versus one of the Republicans wearing a don't tread on me iPad sticker. It feels like the symbols of those incredibly entrenched divides were extending out into this conversation on free speech, which would seem like it ought to be less partisan. It's after all a crossover issue that applies to everyone. But why doesn't that logic hold, Lee? Well, look, um, over the last eight years, almost decade, the issue of free speech has been incredibly weaponized, to use a term from the hearing. Part of that reason comes from some legitimate concerns around foreign influence. Uh, there was a of course, a Russian effort to influence the 2016 election. Uh, unfortunately, rather than a measured response to that Russian interference, we've seen Democrats um, blame Hillary Clinton's entire defeat only on these uh, relatively small number of Russian influence ads. And they've kind of flipped on their prior commitments to free speech and said that any type of free speech on social media, on the internet, is a threat to society. It's a, it opens the doors to Russians or other foreign influence. It opens the door to hate. It opens the door to Donald Trump. The reason that they keep losing elections is only because of free speech. It's become a scapegoat for every Democrat political failure. But it's unfortunate because historically, over the last century, Democrats have been much stronger on these issues. They've uh, passed laws and, 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 and supported judges who have been strong in upholding uh, the principles of free speech. But in the election of Trump and then with the pandemic and uh, some of these other crises, they've flipped and now they are supportive of even law enforcement and intelligence agencies 
uh, intervening in social media and telling the American public what is true or not, um, censoring and silencing uh, even true speech on social media. The witnesses, yourself and Greg Lukianov particularly, were going through pains to emphasize how censorship could be used against the left eventually if uh, it were to take hold in America. It seems like there's nothing we can actually do to get uh, you know, our own side of the political fence concerned about the, the idea of collusion between some of the most powerful people in Silicon Valley and in the country. The, and the, the censorship executive. mob will come for them too. Right? right now it's focused on, I mean, the Fifth Circuit said this, the court decision, it's focused primarily on conservatives, primarily on people on the political right. But it will come for the left too. Oh yeah, it already it, does. It already does. I, I defend and people it already on the left has. on campus all the time. Um, and it's, it's very strange to try to get people to be concerned when even people they uh, get, uh, agree with are losing their jobs. Do you think that your pleas there for some sort of nonpartisan agreement over this issue were heard? No, not at all. I mean, there was incredible cognitive dif dissonance from some of the Democrats on the committee, they were saying, well, look, we don't want to talk about free speech. We want to talk about the threat posed by Donald Trump. We are scared of Donald Trump uh, abusing his powers in office. And on some level, I agree with that. You know, there are concerns around how Donald Trump might use uh, the federal government if he wins uh, election this year. But it doesn't make sense in terms of how they support this expansive apparatus uh, in the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, this new agency, CISA, um, policing social media, if they oppose a new authoritarian president, why are they handing him a apparatus to completely control social media? We've seen just in the last couple of years, the creeping bureaucratic power that these agencies have to, say, to shape social media. If there's truly a concern with authoritarianism, why aren't they voicing any, any attempt to disentangle um, this government influence over social media. Congressman Thomas Massey was speaking a lot about the Orwellian structures that you've just mentioned there. He also made a distinction between proactive and reactive censorship. Could you just elucidate a little bit what he means by that? Because we didn't quite get into it in the hearing. Yeah, I would have liked to talk about a little bit more. And, you know, the official title of the hearing was Social Media Censorship and Artificial Intelligence. There's kind of a passive censorship when uh, machines take over when uh, AI is programmed to look for certain narratives, certain terms, and to automatically flag and censor certain forms of internet speech. That's constant. And there's also, of course, the more um, direct, you know, seizing of big uh, political accounts or um, media outlets and humans directly targeting them um, based on some allegation of hate speech or misinformation or, you know, uh, a malinformation, negative narrative. Uh, there, there's a lot of euphemisms for the social media censorship bureaucracy, um, but the, the, the effect is, is very similar. An almost biblical distinction started to come up during the hearing of the dark forces, either with the face of Donald Trump or the faceless AI systems on either side of, of the divide. Do you think it's that simple? You, you mentioned at one point that actually, in fact, it might not be a kind of Kafkaesque bureaucrat with a Machiavellian urge to power, but in fact, uh, what you reference as a brand ambassador or someone working in a kind of mid-level marketing job who's actually ending up swaying the views of potentially millions of Americans. Could you also speak a bit more about that? That's right. You know, whenever these censorship regimes are created, there is a similarity. There's, you know, there's a boogeyman misinformation, terrorism, crime, what have you, the censor 
says that, you know, you give away a little bit of your freedom and we'll protect you from the boogeyman. But in terms of the actual way that it's carried out, you know, sometimes there is a politically motivated censor who wants to penalize their political opponents. Sometimes it's just incompetence. You know, you have a, a brand ambassador or, you know, you have, you have some kind of cog in the middle. Sometimes it's outsourced to these IT firms in India and in the Philippines um, to do this kind of content moderation work. And, you know, these folks might not understand the American context for these debates. They don't have the skills. It might not be politically motivated. It might just be incompetent, right? It could be folks who are attempting to determine the truth. They don't have the facts. They don't have the ability to determine uh, the accuracy of the speech, but they're still engaging in the same type of censorship. And, and we see the social media posts, whether they're Twitter or Facebook, uh, removed. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. At one point in the hearing, Congressman Jerry Connolly effectively accused the Republican side of, of spreading their own kind of conspiracy around the dangers of AI versus what he considered to be the concrete threat, which was Donald Trump. When we talk about weaponization... Like Ambassador Eisen said, we are concerned. But my friends on the other side of the aisle want to persuade the public that the weaponization to worry about is the one that doesn't exist. And hopefully you will not pay attention to the real threat Ambassador Eisen and others have in fact described. There's a monstrous effort going on as we speak to structure a second term Donald J. Trump. Is there not a world in which we could understand both as threats, maybe not even threats, but certainly threats both, rather than uh, either attending to one or the other? 
Right. I mean, it's just a false choice. I mean, th these tools are, um, in, in a sense, neutral. And, and, it, um, and what I mean by that is that anyone who controls them can shape their direction. If Donald Trump or Joe Biden decided to use AI-powered bots to flood social media with misinformation and disinformation, um, either of them um, can, can use those tools. I mean, we, we just... This, this interjection of partisanship, I think, is unhelpful because there are kind of common principles at stake. I think both sides can agree we don't want a situation like they have in China where uh, the government uses AI to snuff out all uh, forms of dissent, to really prevent any kind of dis open discussion of public policy decisions or if there's a challenge to the government to snuff that out. That's what we don't want. Um, it's not really a right or left issue, it's, it, but, it, but unfortunately, you know, this is an election year and um, ad nauseum, they, they bring up Trump. We had another kind of who's who of the last few years when Congressman Matt Gates appeared to talk about the MIT proposal. She MIT said that if you're rural, if you're part of a military family, if you view the Bible and the Constitution as sacred, then you're going to be, and you know why they said you're uniquely susceptible to misinformation? Because if you think the Bible and the Constitution are sacred, you might not rely on the expert class, yep. Yep. right? You might not rely on all the folks in D.C. and at all the think tanks, and that's really what people have to rely on. And so when, when we're taking government money to go and try to to harm people who have a particular religious view or a particular view on the Constitution, I, w I would think that in that type of a circumstance, we aren't crying wolf when there's none at the door. Could you talk us more through that? Well, the context here is that, you know, for a lot of these social scientists working in censorship, they're um, engaging in their own form of hate speech. And what, what I mean by that is that they're often using very crude tools to stereotype. They're saying, hey, if you are a Native American or Asian American, you need to be concerned about a certain form of speech. Well, you know, I, I don't think there's a monolithic Asian American or Native American viewpoint. Uh, there's d diversity of views. We're all individuals. What can offend one individual might, you know, be seen as patriotic and normal speech by another. What one person sees as propaganda, another person sees as legitimate speech. Oftentimes, the, the most persuasive bureaucratic or political argument for advancing censorship is that it's protecting vulnerable minorities. But again, peel back the layers of that onion. It's its own form of bigotry when you're saying this entire class of people has to be offended by a certain type of content. There were many examples over the hearing of different quotes from the Democrat side of Trump saying potentially alarming things about his future behavior should he win the presidency this year. Do you think there is an issue here about a generalized sense of wanting to protect America from potential future harm versus allowing that potential risk with it coming, of course, the freedom of speech? Well, every authoritarian makes this, attempts to make this bargain. Give me some of your civil liberties and I will give you protection, uh, protection from outsiders, pr protection from foreign influence, protection from criminals, protection from terrorists. This is the kind of standard playbook for despots and authoritarians all over the world. And let me be clear, I'm alarmed by a lot of the Trump rhetoric. And, you know, I've looked at my history. I think it speaks for itself. I've critically reported on the Obama administration. I've written dozens and dozens of articles and investigations critical of Trump as a candidate and Trump as president. And I'm, I'm writing critically about Biden. Um, I, I just don't I, I don't think it's helpful to justify censorship 
by just pointing to your political opponent. Um, we need basic principles that govern this entire system. Many of the choices of witnesses by the Republican side happened to be Democrats or at least left-leaning people as they saw them. They mentioned Schellenberger, Taibbi, people who've been on unheard before, yourself and Greg Lukianov, who was a witness next to you. Do you feel that it's become such a right-wing issue in this partisan split to be interested in free speech that you become a kind of leftist apostate if you're someone who decides to take it up as a cause. Well, look, I'm already an apostate for my views on colorblind equality, that I'm a humanist. I think, you know, we need to be judged as individuals and apparently also you on free speech. You radical thing, Lee, you radical thing. <laughs> but look, I mean, I guarantee you, we can put money on this today that should Donald Trump become president and enter office next year, all of these kind of promoters of uh, the FBI, CISA, DHS, those law enforcement and intelligence agencies policing social media on the left, they will have a come to Jesus moment and realize that these principles are important to be protected, no matter the administration. Unfortunately, this has just become a partisan football. Okay, a few more very specific examples from the hearing that I think our audience might be interested in. There was a question of jobs in the disinformation industry, as it was called. What does that actually mean? Yeah, I thought that was actually one of the most interesting parts of the hearing. Uh, Greg talked about that a little bit, that, you know, these AI tools that are being used to censor and police speech, they are only as strong and they focus on the people that control them. And if you have people who have a ideological or political bias that work at these censorship firms or, you know, uh, are employed by these AI companies, the AI censorship algorithms, the outputs will reflect their biases. You know, a lot of these kind of concerns around radicalization and, and, and violent incitement on social media um, sound very legitimate. And, you know, these are issues that are very vexing and, and how do we, we kind of confront them as society. The problem is that every organization that claims to be nonpartisan, and I say almost every organization that claims to be nonpartisan on this issue, you look at their record the last few years, they're very partisan. You know, they're, 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 they're targeting one party's speech and not the other for the, the almost the exact same content. And, you know, you look at my reporting on my Substack, I've documented many examples of this. A lot of the organizations that claim that they are upholding science well, you know, they're, they're censoring uh, other scientific studies they simply don't agree with or that they, they are, you know, upholding the facts. Well, you know, a lot of the examples of censorship that we've highlighted, they got the facts wrong. They're censoring true and accurate speech. So who actually works at these groups, these sometimes very unaccountable for-profit and non-profit censorship or anti-misinformation firms? is very important, but they receive very little scrutiny. Okay, so one of those specific ones that we were talking about in the hearing was NewsGuard. I'll just play a quick clip of you explaining exactly what NewsGuard is and what it's been doing over the last few years. Well, NewsGuard is one of the many kind of firms in this cottage industry of anti-misinformation. Uh, they provide tools to rank websites on their kind of truthiness, and they have their own sliding scale. Uh, the problem here is that they've been caught over and over again um, getting the facts wrong. They claimed that uh, any website or news outlet that reported on the COVID lab leak as the origin of COVID-19 was spreading a conspiracy theory. They've also gone after left-leaning websites that are simply reporting on the Ukraine-Russia war in a critical way, saying that Ukraine is a client state of the US. Perhaps you disagree with this point of view, but this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is a legitimate area of public debate. Now, this is a NewsGuard in particular, is another company that, as you mentioned, receives military contracts. If they're working for the military and shaping 
public opinion and journalism around issues of foreign policy, for me, that raises inherent conflicts of interest. I just wanted to ask, is the Department of Defense still using NewsGuard? What exactly is the effect of having a group like that making moral judgments around information um, for a Department of Defense? I definitely remember the days uh, not that long ago during the lead up to the Iraq war, there was a lot of concern about the government shaping mainstream media, big newspapers around the allegations that led to that war and weapons of mass destruction. There was a big debate that the legacy newspapers were too close to the administration because they would get coffee with them, they were friends, you know, they would kind of parrot their, their press releases and talking points on the Iraq war. But now we have something potentially even worse. We have government contractors, we have military contractors, uh, censorship firms that receive funding or contracts from the military that are shaping the news we read on other foreign conflicts, on Israel-Palestine, on Ukraine-Russia. And these companies that have this inherent conflict of interest, that they're taking military money and telling Americans what to believe on really kind of difficult uh, foreign policy issues where there is no clear truth, right? There's, there's areas of intense, uh, thoughtful debate. We've seen the government lie, too, on, on the war in Ukraine. They've, they've made claims that have, that have not turned out to be truthful. Yet, these groups are, like NewsGuard, have censored left-wing sites like Consortium News, who have critically reported on the U.S.-Ukraine relationship, on, on uh, some of the narratives around this conflict. Uh, I don't under understand why it's not a bigger scandal. If you look back at uh, the scandals, again, in, in the Bush administration around the cozy relationship between the press and the military, that was huge. That's was something we talked about for months here in the U.S. But for whatever reason, maybe because of the partisan issues we talked about earlier, um, because this is a free speech issue or you know misinformation issue, it's now only brought up um, by generally by Republicans. Towards the end of the hearing, Congressman Dan Goldman said it was the most useless and worthless subcommittee that Congress had ever created. Will it have any effect? I have no idea. Um, I, I'm just here to present my reporting to discuss what I've investigated in the past. I'm happy to talk to Democrats or Republicans about this. Um, I don't think it should be a partisan issue. If the Democrats are really concerned about censorship and this powerful apparatus for controlling the media, you know, if Trump wins re-election, I, I think these issues are going to be salient for a long time. Do you think it might take Trump winning the election to get the Democrats interested in the real threat of this censorship industrial complex, as it's being called? Well, you know, just as a, a mini example of this, uh, I know many other left-leaning journalists who told me and told the world that there's no such thing as cancel culture. There's no censorship. Um, they told this, they said this for years and years. And after October 7th and the Israel-Hamas uh, war has, has unfolded, and we've seen a number of leftists, of left-leaning activists and journalists being canceled, being censored, losing their jobs for expressing pro-Palestinian speech, now they've come a full 180. And, and the same journalists and pundits are talking nonstop about censorship, at least for those folks who are focused on the um, Palestine uh, human rights issue. That's an example of, of folks coming immediately 180. And I think there's going to be a broader version of that uh, should Trump return to office. On the other side of the coin, what do you think will happen if Trump returns to office, gives the anti-woke brigade in this kind of culture war, everything they want, do you think an interest in censorship will actually wane on the right now that it no longer benefits them in the way that it did before? I'm sure that there are some fair weather supporters of free speech that, you know, when they when your side is being censored, you're only going to speak up. 
true supporters of this principle fight for the voices that they disagree with. That's what free speech is all about. It's not just about speech for your own side, speech for everyone. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on the next few congressional hearings. And although they won't be as enjoyable as that one to see you on it, Lee, we will be keeping up with them nonetheless. Congratulations on your testimony. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Flo. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.